Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. What an extraordinary reminder of the reason we're here this morning, that it is Resurrection Sunday and a phenomenal time to celebrate and rejoice who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for us today. And we're going to do that as we share and continue to share. Again, a great welcome for you to add to that of Jesse and to Dan this morning. We're glad you're here. And if you're here for the very first time, we trust that the message of the resurrection um, is significant for you and actually makes a difference in your life. So let's pray. God, we want to thank you for today. We want to thank you for opportunities there are to celebrate and rejoice and be so thankful and um, celebratory, Lord God, that you have done what you've done. Father, this weekend reminds us that you gave your life, but it came back again to life for us in a resurrection. That is so crucial. So, Father, we pray you'll speak to each one of us through your word and by your spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, what a week. Um, what a week, not just because this is the, you've had the last week of the school holidays, not just because you could drink in a cafe with whoever you wanted, wherever you wanted for the first time for a long time maybe, not just because it's the first week of an election campaign. I'm not talking about this week, I'm talking about that week, what we call Holy Week, the week that was, the week that the resurrection completes, that it finishes up with that particular week, with finishing up on Resurrection Sunday. What an incredible week it was leading up to that time. I want to read to you the very first um, encounter, the very first um, verbal report of the resurrection comes from Luke chapter 24. You'll see the words on the screen. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marvelling to himself at what had happened. This is the first verbal report that anyone gave of the resurrection. It was the women who had come to continue on the preparation or the 
the embalming, if you like, of the body of Jesus. And they came and saw that he wasn't there and two angels appeared and said, he's not here, he's risen. And so they raced back to the apostles who, strangely enough, were missing and they didn't believe them. Maybe for a couple of reasons, this is an outrageous thing that's happened. Despite the fact that Jesus repeatedly told his disciples and the women and other people that it was going to happen, it's still an outrageous thing to happen. Secondly, they didn't maybe believe them, and I don't like to say this, but because they were women. In first century Judaism, a woman's testimony in court was dismissed. You weren't allowed to give a testimony in court. So for all sorts of reasons, they didn't believe, and so Peter has to run out, and he runs out, sees there's nobody in the tomb, and goes back and tells the others. It's an extraordinary story, extraordinary. But this is the culmination of an extraordinary week. It's a week that was full of emotion and full of roller coaster thoughts and emotions of the people. It started with the Sunday before. We call it Palm Sunday, but it's a, it's a day of adulation where people are celebrating Jesus coming, the Messiah coming. He was going to come and destroy the Romans who were you know, dic- dictating the whole culture of the then known world around that time. And they celebrated and they shouted Hosanna, which means save us, just save us. And they believed he would in, an, in a sort of military sort of way. And that changed. He came into Jerusalem on the Monday. Monday he came and he saw that the temple that uh, was there was being used sort of as a trading place, like merchandise. And people were sort of buying and selling stuff and using quite a religious artifacts to make money. And so he turned the tables over and said, I want, this should be a place of prayer. So Sunday starts with adulation and then not so popular on Monday. Tuesday and Wednesday he, of that week, he told a whole bunch of stories and parables, sheep and the goats and the ten virgins and a whole bunch of other stories, the last stories he was to tell to people. It was the week where in that week he would um, call out the scribes and the Pharisees and really give it to them. He told them some things about themselves, these religious leaders, that I'm sure they didn't want to hear. He said some pretty tremendous things of, of burden for them. He told them that they would burden other people, that they would lead people in a burdensome religion. He called them whitewashed tombs and, and dirty cups. He, he said all they wanted was the best seats in the synagogue and all they wanted was to rip widows, rip, rip widows off with their houses. He told them they, they strained gnats but swallowed a camel. In other words, they majored on the minors and minored on the majors. He really gave it to them in this Monday and Tuesday of that week. He lamented over Jerusalem on those days and called out and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, what have you become? It was a heavy, heavy couple of days on that Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday becomes even more intense. Thursday he has a last meal with his disciples He washes their feet as an act of absolute 
servanthood with his disciples. He acknowledges the betrayal of one of his disciples and the denial of another. People he'd handpicked to join his team, one betrayed him, one was to deny him, never knew him. He was led out into a garden, which was perhaps the most um, crushing time of his physical being, apart from the actual crucifixion itself. He's there and he has the first interrogation of a number of interrogations with the Sanhedrin, the chief priests and the religious heavies of the day. This is the Thursday. Friday comes. It's more unjust interrogations with Pilate, the crowd, the soldiers. He's taken to the cross down a road called the Via Della Rosa. 12 o'clock in midday, the place goes absolutely dark. Darkness for three hours. Incredible time. It's hard to imagine that happening at 12 o'clock today. Place goes dark. It's it's extraordinary. Three o'clock in the afternoon. It's the time Jesus feels most the abandonment of his father. He calls out, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he breathed his last. And as he breathed his last, the curtain of the temple you saw it depicted on that video, the curtain of the temple tore in two. The place that separated the presence of God and sinners was broken in two. Earthquakes happened. Rocks split. Graves were opened up. I mean, it's extraordinary what happened on that day. The body was taken down, prepared for burial, placed in a borrowed tomb, laid to rest. A huge stone was put in front and a guard was put there to protect anyone getting in or out, particularly in at that time. It's, the witnesses were there, the same women who were there at the crucifixion were there at the burial. They were there. It was a tragic scene. Saturday, really the silence of grief. Not much happened that Saturday except people who were followers of Jesus. Just distraught, distraught, because the Messiah they thought was going to free them from the, you know, the Roman heaviness, the Roman authority had now died. And then comes Sunday. Then comes the day we celebrate today. The, the women come to visit the tomb and angels appear and the stone is rolled away. An earthquake happens again and the guards around the tomb, um, it says they shook and were like dead men, so they collapsed at what had happened, knowing what was going to happen to them when the authorities found out. He's not here. He's risen, they say. And they, women race with good news and then Peter runs with good news and that particular event has changed everything, everything since. Everything. The event of the resurrection. That was the first report that was given 
He's not there. He is risen. And I want to read to you the first written report, which comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. The first written report was not the Gospels. The Gospels were written after the letter to the Corinthians. Corinthian letters written in the 50s. Gospels are written starting in the 60s. So Corinthians is the first letter, the first written report that a church would have heard or had written to them, read to them and written to them, of the resurrection. So I want you to listen to these words. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. And I've chosen quite a long portion of Scripture so that we know just how important today is. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter, then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me is not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless And so is our faith. You see the centrality of the resurrection to our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, he says it again, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. So you need to understand that the resurrection complete <coughs> pardon me, completes Easter. <coughs> it completes the story of Easter. Without the resurrection, it's not full, it's not complete. Without the resurrection, your faith is futile. Without the resurrection, my preaching is pathetic. It might be pathetic anyway, but, but, but my preaching is futile. Without the resurrection, without that completion on the Sunday morning. It's not about the cross now. That was Friday. It's now about the resurrection. Without that, your faith is not real. It's futile. It doesn't matter. So as Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
you are still in your sins, my preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Extraordinary. That's why we celebrate Easter Sunday morning. That's why we rejoice. That's why we sing. It's, it's because it's so important. It's the foundation of our life's faith. It's foundational for that. And I want to ask the question, why is it so central? Why is it so important? What about the resurrection for you and me? And I want to just share briefly with you, with the resurrection for you and me, there are three elements or three characteristics that really matter. And there are three mistakes that we easily make when it comes to Easter. Let me share those with you. And I want to share some thoughts. through. I want to look through the lens of one of the people who Jesus handpicked, but who denied him, but has now been changed. His life has now been opened by the resurrection itself, who raced to the tomb, Peter, who raced to the tomb and found just linen cloths with no body, found the tomb open. What does Peter say about the resurrection? Really important. First Peter, it says this. This is Peter who's, who's denied, who's disappeared. You, haven't, you don't see much of Peter and the other, um, the other of the 11 during this time because they sort of disappeared and are disheartened because of what's happened to Jesus, who they've walked the country with for three and a half years. This is what Peter says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have hope because of that. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you, you love him, and even though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. What are the three elements? What are the three characteristics that the Apostle Peter sees in the resurrection that's made a difference for him from this cowering, denying apostle to now someone who says, Listen, you're born again to a living hope? And that's the first one a hope that is alive. The resurrection brings to you a hope that is alive. He says you were born again or you had a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. You know, you don't have to look very far around you today or around your world or around the world to see that there is a great erosion and depletion of hope. The last couple of years particularly, we've had that great a kind of squashing, squeezing of hope 
in our lives and in our world. There's been incredible uncertainty and there still is to some degree. There's been pandemics that we can't seemingly control somehow. We've seen more recently fighting and squabbles in what we'd call war in some parts of our world and fear in other parts. We've seen a, an epidemic, it would seem, in things like domestic violence and abuse, the restrained relationship. And Peter says, you've been born again to a living hope and a live hope through the resurrection of Jesus and calls us to, despite those things that are around us, to allow the hope of the resurrection to be the consuming entity, the consuming characteristic of our life. Paul says to the Ephesian church, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened to see the hope that God holds out for you. You see, the resurrection means a hope that is alive. It's not a wishful thinking hope. It's not a hopeful sort of hope. It's a real, alive, it's not a past hope, it's a living hope, it's a hope every day through the resurrection and to know that Jesus does what he said he's going to do. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection means hope. It means hope where there is despair, where there is brokenness, where there is fear, where there is desperation. It means hope. The second element that Peter talks about is a joy that is glorious. He talks about a joy. Though you've not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The resurrection brings a joy. It's something deep within. Joy is not a characteristic you can bung on. It's not I'm with so-and-so, I better put on my Christian joy today. Joy is not a characteristic or a trait. Joy is a well. It's a well. And like any well, you have, to, you have to dig out of it, but you have to replenish it. And he says that resurrection, the, the belief that God is brought his son back from the dead and Jesus has now risen forever and has imparted that forever to you. That now comes with an inexpressible joy, a glorious joy. It's the resurrection promise for you. It's a, it's a joy, that well that you have to go to regularly because when you look around you, you don't always get filled with joy. There are things that don't make you happy. There are things that are sad. There are things that are difficult. There are things that are hard and harsh. But you've got to go to that place, replenish that well that is joy. And the resurrection brings that glorious and inexpressible joy to our lives. The third characteristic is a faith that is genuine, that's real, that stands the test of time. He said that, Peter just said, these have come so that the proven genuineness, genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ 
is revealed. You've been born again to a living hope and a glorious joy and a genuine faith, a life that is real. Even though been through some crucibles of pain, even though we face crucibles of difficulty, and even though we face day by day things that cause great grief and hurt for us, even though that, that actually helps to make your faith genuine. It doesn't take away from it. It actually helps to make it genuine, refined by fire, difficult, harsh, Fire refines you so that your faith now is more valuable than gold because it's been refined in the tough times. You ever wondered why the resurrected Jesus with a new body still has scars? I mean, wouldn't you think that a whole new body would have no scars? It's brand new. But it seems to be that when Jesus is resurrected and people recognize him by the scars sometimes. And he's still got scars with his new resurrected body. Scars are amazing. I've got plenty of scars. I mean, I'm old enough to have plenty of scars, but I've had knee surgeries and a dozen little skin cancers cut off. If we had a scar off here this morning, if I wasn't number one, I'd be on the podium. You know, scars are amazing. They, they hurt for a while, but they fade. And the thing about scars is they don't hurt after a while. Physical scars, they don't hurt after a while. But they remind you that you had a new start after them. I, I you know, it might be like me. I go to the skin specialist once a year. They check the last... Eight times I have go when I hope I don't have anything ha- needing some sort of, that's forlorn. Every time I've been for the last eight or so years, I've had something that needs to be cut off. And you get this, and it, it leaves a scar. It leaves a little blemish. But you know, when you see that scar after a week or two, you don't feel it. But you remember that you've been freed till the next time you go. You've sort of been, you've got a, a new freedom for a while. And scars do that to you. They don't hurt after a while, but they remind you you've been given a newness of life. You've been refined by fire and you've got some scars along the way. I know you have, I have, you have, that are not just physical. You've been refined by fire. And through the resurrection, you have a faith that is now greater than gold. It's rich. It's powerful. It's been fire broken and hurt for a while. And you will have a resurrected body one day, but not just yet. I want to throw up a photo for you. It's, it's an amazing reminder of me. These I visited, had the joy before I finished at Compassion, just visiting Cambodia uh, for a week, and we were thinking of doing some work there just before COVID came. And I, well, the most amazing meal I've ever had in my life was with these three gentlemen. It wasn't amazing because of the food, although it was great, but because of these three guys. 
I won't tell you which one's which, and if we were f- photographing this this morning, I wouldn't be able to show you this photo because it's just so, it's still sensitive. But I can with permission because we're not doing that. One of those gentlemen, I won't tell you which one, was a, a general in the army of Pol Pot. Now, if you know anything about the history of Cambodia, you know in the late 70s, uh, you heard the term killing fields where sites were found where at least a million bodies which had been executed by, the, by Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge regime and been left in the ground, mass graves, killed his own people. A million people in those places and about 1.7 million totally. And there were people who had education and he wanted to get rid of the people who would maybe be the elites of the country. So pastors and doctors and teachers and all the folk who had some sort of education were executed. One of the gentlemen in that photo was a general who planned and took out a lot of those executions. One of the the guys in that photo was a guy who was an officer in the um, Cambodian army who joined the army because his job as a public servant before that was to go out every morning and put bodies that had been killed the night before in the back of trucks and he got so angry at what had happened, he joined the Cambodian army to fight against the Khmer Rouge. And the third guy is a a commander of a regional rebel group who fought everybody. Those three gentlemen have been born again to a living hope. They wouldn't even normally go near each other, but now they're all forgiven. They're all free. They join arms. They each lead a particular ministry of Jesus in their particular area, and they've been born now in a living hope. They've, been, they've got a glorious joy, although they still, one of them particularly, that general, still says he visualises the things that he did. So there's comp- consequences. And they have a genuine faith. And I remember hearing their stories, and I was weeping my eyes out, just hearing the stories. And I remember thinking to myself, if I go back to Australia and I hear somebody complaining about the smallest thing, the littlest thing, you know, gets, gets me down. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Why does this happen? I'm going to go ape. Because here were three people whose lives were just so different, so broken, who are now born again to a living hope, who have a genuine faith and a glorious joy again. You see, those, the resurrection is not just a nice event it's got to make a difference to your life. It's got to give you that hope. It's going to give you that joy. It's going to give you that life of faith. The last thing I want to say today is, what are, what do we need? What are the mistakes? What are the traps we can make to about Easter? When it comes to tomorrow and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and we look back at Easter, what are the traps we can fall into, I think, for us? One of the traps I think we can fall into is that Easter is more about death than it is about life. And it is about death. It's about the death of Jesus on a cross for the forgiveness of our sin. And that curtain between God and man was broken forever. 
between God and sinners was broken forever. It was about death, but it's not more about death than life. It's now about life. It's about resurrection. It's about all of that. The death of Jesus brings you forgiveness, but the resurrection brings you hope and brings you joy and brings you faith. And I've met many believing believers, many Christians who are somber on Good Friday, which we probably should be, but are still somber on Sunday, which we shouldn't be. It's a day of singing and rejoicing and dancing if you're a dancer. Go and dance. Do all that because it's celebratory. How many people have read Winnie the Pooh to their kids? Winnie the, there's a character in Winnie the Pooh, you know I'm talking about, called Eeyore. He's the donkey. And no matter what happens, whether good, bad or indifferent, Eeyore's got a slant on it, which is, ah, it's an ah slant. But everything is down. Everything is, you know, negative. Everything is terrible. And as believers in Jesus, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to look around and go, well, that's awful. But not the resurrection. Not the hope that it brings you. Not the joy that it brings you. Not the life that it brings you. It's about the sacrifice Easter, but it's about the joy. And one of the mistakes we can make is we think it's more about death than it is about life. These are all connected. The second one is that it can be simply a historical story, not a current reality. So we can get to Easter Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week and go and look back and go, well, that's Easter for another year. We've celebrated it. It's over now. It's a celebration of a historical event, but it's not a current reality. The hope and the life and the faith and the joy that God brings is not real today. It was real on the weekend. It was real in church, but it's not real today. It's about maybe the theology of Easter or we counteract the apologetics of Easter and we counteract the skeptics and we, you know, we, we counteract the doubters. But the reality of the hope and faith and joy of Jesus is not there anymore. We've lost it somehow. Or the new life we experienced years ago when we came to faith in Jesus is not as new as it was. It's not as lively as it was. It's not like that. It's not as exhilarating as it was. And the third mistake we make, and it's similar to adds to the other two, is that Easter is an event, not an encounter. Easter is an event that we recognise, we acknowledge, we celebrate, but it's not an encounter with the living God. It's not an encounter where those who've come to faith in Jesus now have the Spirit of God resident within us, changing us day by day. It's not an encounter with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us now and changes us. And we've lost the life of God. We've lost the reality of the Spirit of God. We actually sometimes even, if we don't say it, because we'd never say it, but we live it out like 
you know, the Trinity of God is Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. No, it's not. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because you now have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, bringing the Scriptures to life as you read them. That's the story now of the encounter. Where sometimes we settle for orthodoxy over vibrancy. We are solid, severe, you know, rational Christians, but we lose the vibrancy of the faith and the reality of the Spirit of God and the hope of Jesus in our lives day by day. That's what happens. They're the traps that we can, that we can have, that we lose. becomes more about death than life, where it, it becomes a historical story, not a current reality. And connected with that, it becomes an event rather than an encounter. I want to challenge us today as people, as people who follow Jesus, that we be people who become resurrection people. We be people who see Jesus as the one who brings hope, who brings life, who brings joy, and who brings faith to us. Not just a story, a good story, a great story once a year, but it brings life, joy, and hope into our lives. And I would ask you this morning, if, if in any way today that that hope has been eroded, that joy has been depleted in you, that faith has been sort of shattered or maybe not even started yet, that today would be a great day. Easter Sunday of 2022 would be a great day to say, this is new life for me. I'm going to embrace the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and make it my own life. What if you close your eyes? I want to pray with you. And if that's you today, if you want to acknowledge maybe Jesus for the very first time, or in a new way, some of that hope and life and joy is gone. Then as we just close our eyes and as I lead you in prayer, make your own prayer to God about, God, this is it. This is the day. This is when I need a renewal of hope. This is when I need a, a well of joy. This is where I need a genuine faith that gets refined through the fire and gets scarred but it's real. Father, we want to come this morning and we recognise that you are the God of all creation. And we thank you that Easter, Lord God, is not just an event, it's an encounter with the living Christ. And God, I want to pray for each one of us this morning and especially, Lord, I pray for people today who maybe are here and for the first time say, I want to understand something more of the hope and the joy of Jesus and the genuine life that he brings to us. Oh, Father, just encourage people. And Father, if we're here this morning, and maybe we've been a follower of Jesus for a number of years now, but somehow that hope's been eroded and that joy's been you know, discounted in our lives and the crucible and the fire gets too hot sometimes. And God, today we might need, need to say, Lord, refresh me, renew me, in the resurrected Jesus. Today would be a great time to know that, to do that, 
and to say, here we are again. Lord, I choose vibrancy. I choose life. I choose faith. Amen.